Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, welcome to Modern Day Hysteria. We are excited you're here. This is going to be a fun, informal, go-with-the-flow kind of conversation. We have two spectacular people here. Spectacular in two ways. One, in the sense that they enjoy reading about new ideas with regards to philosophy of religion or psychology. And two, is that we have people that are personable and fun to actually listen to. So they're kind to each other and they're actually charming. So I'm going to get the ball rolling by first kicking it over to Shannon Q. Shannon Q, I am excited to hear what you're doing at your channel. So please, if you wouldn't mind just telling us a little bit about what's going on over there at the Shannon Q channel, which we have linked down below in the description, by the way. Totally encourage you to check it out, Shannon. Well, I had my friend James on not that long ago. He was pretty cool to talk to. If anybody wants to go check out that video, we he and I had a great chat. People may know him. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, right now I am working on, I haven't, I've only had live streams thus far this month. Uh, I'm working on an edited video. They take me a little bit longer to do because I do a lot of research. Uh, but right now I'm doing one on, um, claims that, uh, Christian counselors make about, uh, how to deal with depression. So that's, that's the next video that is going to be coming out on my channel. And I'm hoping to have it out by next week, hopefully by the end of October. Uh, and that's that's what's going on with me right now. That's the next video that's come out. I just hit 5,000 subscribers, which is really cool. Congrats. So, thanks all to all the people. Thanks to all the various people. And I just started a Discord server too, which is neat. I just started that like three days ago and there's all kinds of cool people in there hanging out, having good conversations. So that's what's up with me. Thank you very much, Shannon Q. Very excited for that. And as I mentioned, we totally want to encourage you to go check out Shannon Q's channel. Even if you don't agree with the speakers tonight, you can at least understand where they're coming from if you go to their channels, check out what they're saying. So we are now kicking it over to C4C Apologetics, also known as Danny. Very excited to hear, Danny, about what you're doing at your channel. The floor is yours to share what you've been up to over there. Thanks, James. So C4C Apologetics is really born out of Jude verse 3 uh, to earnestly contend for the faith or contend for Christ. Uh, one of the things when I got saved, I realized that not many Christians read their Bible. Not many people know their faith, let alone how to actually defend why they believe what they believe. First Peter 3.15 to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. So really it was predicated on this need to be able to articulate why do we believe what we believe is there rationality for that belief and then also because in every sect no matter what religion or any sort of you know viewpoint you get those people that infiltrate and have bad teaching bad doctrine so part of it is also inside the church and inside christendom with different false teachings and how do they come to that and then how can we actually show scripturally that's not accurate and how to be able to defend that. So that's really what it's all about. Right now, I've been doing interviews. I had my old senior pastor, videos coming out on the unpardonable sin. That's a big topic of a discussion for a lot of people. 
But I uh, got videos posted every Saturday. Try to do a short video on Thursday. This is my first time doing it live, so I'm looking forward to it and just picking Shannon's brain and everything. We've already talked Yay. to the week and everything. But I love hearing other sides. I don't necessarily agree. But, hey, we can still be civil and love one another and everything else. And so I just want to see other sides. But the caveat to that, too, is learning other sides also give me more things to learn how to refute look at it from my perspective in a biblical worldview. So that's another part too. But thanks for having me, James. Like I said, name's Danny, C4C Apologetics. Uh, thank you for that opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited you're here for both of you. And also wanted to mention, we also have Danny's link down in the description below. So that's C4C Apologetics down in the description. Again, encourage you to check out both channels. And with that, we are very excited to get started. Thank you for tuning in. So we're just going to let the ball get rolling with Danny. Danny, very excited to hear what you have to say tonight with your questions and ideas. Me too. Let's go. <laughs> How do you have 5,000 subscribers with 23 videos? I had 1,000 subscribers before I posted a video. It's bananas. How, 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 how is that? I just, I saw that. I was like, wow. <laughs> so, kudos to you. And if I'm not mistaken, your channel was really dedicated to advocate the position of atheism. Is that correct? Sort of? Not advocate, not necessarily advocate the position of atheism, but advocate for atheists. I found that there was a lot of atheist voices in the community that I didn't recognize myself in. And uh, there was also a lot I when I entered into the foray of, you know, have, having these types of discussions, I was met with a lot of preconceptions of what an atheist was. People uh, would essentially have sort of a, a preconceived bias about what an atheist is based on, I don't know, what their internal perception or what they've been told right. uh, about atheists or, you know, what they've seen within the community as, you know, the character of an atheist. And I would, and, and you know, when, when they would enter discussions with me, I would, I would enter those discussions and first have to deal with all of that baggage. Yeah. So it would be difficult to get past somebody just automatically going to the default position that I was going to be condescending and that I was going to be holier than thou, that I was going to be using, you know, tired old counter apologetics and that I wasn't interested in their position and that I thought I was smarter than them and that I was good. You know, all, all the list goes on. So right. I really wanted to advocate that, you know, we're just... We're just like you. We just answered no to the question that you answered yes to, and that we can have very respectful, interesting, productive conversations with one another. Yeah. So I I went all around YouTube and talked on other channels, and I started to, I guess, kind of garner a following before I even had the intention hmm. of starting a YouTube channel. And I was... Not necessarily goaded into it, but I would. They said if I, they asked me if I got a thousand subscribers if I would start making videos, and I said, yeah, sure, because like I'll get a thousand subscribers, and yeah, I did. So <laughs> I started making videos. <laughs> so uh, that's not a background story. The reason why I bring that up is, is I do appreciate you for being able to stand up for a position that you believe in, a position that you hold, being a yeah. voice to the community and everything for just your position. Obviously, I would disagree, but the mere fact that you're able and willing to stand up and be a voice, that speaks volumes for you and what you're willing to do with like-minded people. And so I do appreciate that. I do think I saw in one of your videos, matter of fact, I, I watched the interview with Cy. Okay? Oh, Cy. 
I yeah. love Sai. Sai and I can look great. <laughs> I was talking to him today. <laughs> so I guess he's yeah. on the, doing some other bigger things. But uh, watch me call. I, in the video, I think you had mentioned that you had left your faith uh, mm -hmm. for a few different reasons. Can you tell me a little bit about your faith and what led to the really the descent of faith? I think you said it was a Anglican background and the fact that you had yeah. questions you couldn't get reconciled and people couldn't answer. I'm just right. curious about atheists and their testimonies and everything. Certainly. Okay. So I was an Anglican. Uh, I was actually the, I was the first female altar girl in the church and the youngest altar person in the church. I was, uh, you go through confirmation as an Anglican. I was confirmed at eight. Most yeah. people do it between 12 and 15. Um, I was, I was very, 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 very devout in my faith, but I, I came to the realization later on in life as I'd encountered, you know, some hardships and turned to my faith in order to, you know, look for, you know, solace and reaffirmation that um, uh, I had had a lot of it dictated to me. So I thought in order to strengthen my, my faith, I would read the Bible. So I read the Bible <laughs> and I, I'd, I realized that a lot of the flowery parts had been picked out and dictated to me and the, the brunt of it, which is the rest of it, uh, I hadn't encountered before. And when I started to have questions, they could, they could not be answered uh, regarding some of what I encountered in the text that, 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 and still to this day can't be reconciled. So I describe it as an involuntary deconversion. My faith slipped from me. I didn't make an active choice that I didn't want to believe. I held onto it with both hands until I just couldn't be intellectually honest anymore and say that I did believe I didn't even though I wanted to, and I had to be honest about it. Was ever, ever, because I grew up going Lutheran church, and I know the whole aspect of confirmation. I think it was about 12 when I went through the class. Yep. Uh, I beat ya. <laughs> I school, win. You're, you know, you're younger than me, right? No, but, I don't, how old are you? We're, old, we're probably the same. Am I? Yeah, we're probably the same age. Well, you got confirmed younger than me, I guess. You said eight oh, or something. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I got confirmed today. I thought you were right now. I'm 37 almost. So, so you're older. I'm 36. <laughs> I'll be 37 uh, in December. Okay. But uh, no, where is I going? Oh, confirmation. But that never saved me. And I was wondering, was there ever a time in your life that you ever been presented the gospel and, you know, Jesus' death, burial, resurrection for my sins as a sinner? Have you ever... A moment in your life ever been confronted with that gospel and actually said you know what yes jesus i needed him for my salvation no matter how you feel today did that ever come across any time in your life in the past you know what i mean because i know yeah. Lutheran, it's very traditionalist and everything it's all ritual liturgy and everything like that but right. have you ever looked at the gospel like that See if I understand the question correctly. So, are you asking if I've ever um, felt, you know, that I think you're white boxing yourselves, James? I can uh -oh. just see your face. Because <laughs> I was moving my mic. Sorry. About that. <laughs> okay. All right. So, if if the question is, have I ever, um, you know, had the feeling sort of wash over me? Like within, like had a religious type experience, uh, and, I, and I, I would reject that right off the bat because I don't believe. Okay. That I don't understand the question. I guess would okay. probably no, be. I'll, I'll, let me ask it like this: Has there ever been a time in your life where someone said, "Hey, Shannon, 
Jesus Christ died for your sins, and in order to go to heaven, you have to believe and accept that he died for your sins. He paid the penalty you couldn't pay, and the only way to go live with God forever is through his death, burial, resurrection. Was there ever a moment you heard that and said, yeah, I do believe that, and I do trust Jesus to save me? I'm just curious. Oh, certainly. Yeah, absolutely. I went to church my whole life. Well, of course, that message was delivered to me quite frequently. Yeah. I, I, uh, and if you're asking if I believed it, then the answer is yes. Okay. All right. What? Well, that's of good. Of course I believed it. That's good. The reason why I asked that question is there, there's a lot of churches around the area that don't preach the gospel or don't preach mm -hmm. it clearly, and there's a lot hanging. But so you, so you were talking about you had questions you had that you couldn't reconcile and things like that. How much, I'm, I'm curious, how much study have you actually done into those troublesome passages? A couple of years worth of, yeah. And yeah. and I still to this day and enter into dialogues like this okay. so that I can still pursue those questions. So I'm not sure if that's an adequate answer for you. I'm not sure if there's a, quanti a way to quantify that to your satisfaction. Well, but the answer is that I continue to do so. And I, and I did ardently for years. Could you... Tell me how you actually study the passages and everything. Because I know there's like 5 million translations and things like, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it was written originally in Greek, Aramaic, and Hebrew. And so mm -hmm. I'm just so, curious, like, I'm going to get my master's in theology. And so there's a process yeah. of hermeneutics and everything. And so I'm mm -hmm. curious, when you were looking into these questions and actually trying to figure out what this book says, mm -hmm. how did you actually... Was it just reading it and reading it and contemplating, or did you have any sort of word study tools or anything like that? Uh, there was a measure of that, absolutely, of course. Reading it and contemplating it, reading it over again, highlighting passages. Um, you know, I had you know those little post-it notes, <laughs> those little post-it stickies, right. and uh, highlighting passages and going through and through and through, talking to my counterparts, talking to other members of the church, talking to pastors talking right. to people in my university, talking to family members. And later on in life, uh, like currently, for example, I, I've kind of diversified and honed my, my ability to question a little bit better. So I've become friends with, uh, with a couple named Megan and Josh, who are PhD Assyriologists, and uh, Megan is finishing her PhD in Assyriology. And Josh, they run a channel called Digital Hammurabi. And Josh studied um, Hebrew extensively and went to seminary. And I have these sort of discussions with them. Uh, I have discussions with other apolo apologists like yourself. And uh, yeah, so I, I, I pursue it. I've, I've, you know, I've talked to Sai. I've talked, <laughs> I've, I, I, I pursued it to, I think, a degree more so than the average person that may oh. have come to atheism would have done so it's it's just definitely something i pursued and i pursued honestly and with and with the intent of finding answers okay not, I think, yeah i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there no i was just going to say not simply for the sake of refutation okay it, I, I i endeavored to do it honestly because it, i was a christian and i wanted those answers so that i could affirm my faith so i wasn't looking for a reason to not be to not be a christian anymore i was looking for a reason to still be understand and I couldn't find one. If I'm not mistaken, one of your hangups was Numbers 527, where it talks about God aborting the baby. Was that mis was that? You did your research, the test for the faithful wife. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Can, I, can I share my screen for a minute? 
of course, yeah. I want to see how do I do that, James? <laughs> how do I do that, Shannon? I've done it before we got online. Oh, if you go to the left, there's a little green box with an arrow in it. That would be your screen share box. Okay, sweet. Mm -hmm. Let me share my screen real quick. I've done this once or twice. <laughs> oh, like it. Okay, so number is 527, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, certainly. Talking about the judgment. When she's made to drink the water that brings a curse and causes suffering, will enter her abdomen and her womb will miscarry. Correct. That's the hang up, right? Yeah, or the thigh will rot is another translation. I've, you know, I've heard the semantics about it, but if, okay, if you put so it, yeah. Where, where do you think I'm going with this? That it's, I'm not certain actually. I don't want to make any sort of presumptions. Okay. I'm intrigued to find out. What's interesting, if you look at all these translations, mm -hmm. the NIV is the only one that uses the word miscarry, right? Mm -hmm. Certainly. Let's so, say you, so you'd reject that translation? The NIV, yes. Okay. So let's go over here to the Blue Letter Bible, okay? Because we have what's called okay. the interlinear. Mm -hmm. And then if we were to click here, we can look at their original Hebrew transliteration. Mm -hmm. And like you said, it says thigh, right? Mm -hmm. If we were to actually click on the Hebrew... Uh, word for it, it's going to show us, just like English, there's semantic range, okay? Yeah. So none of this talks anything about a fetus or a child in the womb. Certainly. The okay. most contextual one is the loins. In the loins at that day was thought to be how men and women could procreate. To that culture, being barren and not being able to have a child was detrimental to that woman. You could look at Sarah and Abraham and some other people. Mm -hmm. So the Hebrew word has the actual meaning of the loins, how the so woman creates. May I, may I ask you a question? Yeah, what's up? Yeah, okay. So you're suggesting that the miscarry translation is potentially not the accurate, which I'll fully accept that as I'll accept the veracity of that just on face value. Okay. So my question to you is, and I'll, and I'll take whatever your answer is uh, at face value as well. What is, what would, in your opinion, would be the accurate translation of that passage? Would it be and that she becomes barren or would it be that it causes her thigh to rot? What, 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 what would be the accurate translation? And that's where I would go with this, and you know, keep going and everything, because one other thing I wanted to show you mm -hmm. was words change, right? Mm -hmm. Words evolve all the time. Certainly. If we were to go to an older dictionary, mm -hmm. the primary definition for miscarry is to fail, be unsuccessful of its intended purpose. Okay, so even if that word miscarry was there, Certainly. Uh, it could just mean that, okay, it's not aborting a child. It's a matter but, of fact, individuals being judged in the sense that they're not going to be able to have a child. Now, the same person that could make the individual barren is the same person that can make them not barren. And we see that with the case with Sarah as well. And so I just wanted to point that so out. So you feel like that's better? As far as what? Making somebody barren? Right. I per well, we got to look at it like this, okay? Because in the Old Testament, at a certain period of time, first, and you've heard the argument. I'm not going to use the same arguments because I know you've talked to plenty of people that are probably a lot smarter than me. But don't don't give your don't no give uh, yourself credit. Don't talk but, don't talk about yourself like that. 
But what I want to say is the fact that you've already hold the whole line. You know, God is the giver of life. God is the taker of life. God sets the moral standards and we can't say what's wrong. I'm not really going to get into all that because you've already heard all that. But what I will say is a lot of things that are misunderstood is what's called the theocracy of the Old Testament Jewish people in mm -hmm. Israel, that before Saul became the king, God was their king. So, yeah, he did establish laws and rules and things like that on how they were supposed to live and take care of their community. And their but I still don't understand why that is or is not better, which was my initial question well, than causing no, a miscarriage. No, that's fine. And the reason why I would say that personally is better, number one, it, it at least clears up the misconception that God is aborting a baby. Okay. So I don't think okay. you find aborting a baby. But if she, if she was pregnant, if she was pregnant at that time, what but, would happen? But was she pregnant at that time? The, we, the, well, this test was the, presumably if this was if this is an accurate account of something that was to happen anytime a husband had, went, went away and was concerned that his wife may have been unfaithful since there was no method of birth control at that time. At some point in time, some of these women would have undoubtedly have been pregnant if they had gone through that test at that time. What would have happened? Would God not have been able to affect his judgment on that woman because she was pregnant? However, and he couldn't cause her to be barren because that would have caused her to miscarry or would she have not been caught at that point because she happened to be pregnant and that gives her an out. However, comma, we're assuming that a woman would be pregnant during this time. We're making those assumptions. No, no, we're making the logical inference that if she was being unfaithful, there's no means of birth control. That was the point of this test, that she had a high probability of being pregnant and being unfaithful or the, the risk or the threat that she may have been unfaithful was the reason she was there. So the probability that she was pregnant is high. And if the probability that she's pregnant is high and the point of this test is to find out whether or not she was unfaithful, if she was pregnant, and you're suggesting that the point of this test was not to cause a miscarriage and or abortion. When she was pregnant, God would not have been able to affect that judgment if what you're saying is he was trying to preserve, he would never have not, he would never have aborted a fetus, which negates the purpose of the test. Because if she was unfaithful and got pregnant by being unfaithful and her husband took her to the tabernacle so that this test could be taken, then would God have aborted the fetus? Would he have made her barren or would she have passed the test? Because those are the only options. You know, and that you bring up an interesting point and in everything. And it seems like you did study the passage probably a little more than I do. But and so I, what I, <laughs> I looked at it a lot over many what I, years. What I would like yeah. to do with you, Shannon, is I would like to do some more study and try to see if I can answer some of those questions for you. Okay? That's fair. Sure. But, uh, I, I don't necessarily agree with the assumptions, but we're not going to get anywhere with that discussion and everything. So I will, you know, accept what you're saying. Let me do some more study and we'll continue this dialogue. I'm sure we'll have this interview and discussions again, more so and everything. Absolutely. So, you're welcome to come on my channel and chat anytime you'd like as well. Let me know if you're free. Okay. But I, I want to ask you something because right now, if we're going to talk about God, no God. Okay. Or atheism, mm -hmm. just the view of, you know, not believing in a God and, and this and that. I think it all stems back to the origins. Okay. Neither one of us was there. Neither one of us has direct evidence. We Certainly. don't have eyewitness accounts. The only thing that I can claim is I can claim this is an eyewitness account, which a lot of people would regret, reject if you're not a Christian or are an atheist, right? Mm -hmm. So we both have indirect evidence. 
we both can use the whole method of circumstantial evidence and abductive reasoning. And I'm sure you've heard all about this and everything too. And so, have you ever heard the, the aspect of abductive reasoning? Like, pretend you walk into a room and you see a dead body on the ground, okay? Mm -hmm. Stop me if you heard this before, okay? So you know the person's dead. You check their pulse. They're not breathing. They're 100% dead. There's four ways this person could have died, okay? Uh, they could have died naturally of a heart attack, could have been suicide, could have been an accident, or it really could have been murder, okay? So say you walk in, let's add something to it. Let's add a pool of blood, a big pool of blood under the body, right? Mm -hmm. Out of those four, four plausible explanations, it probably wouldn't be a natural death. Because typically when somebody dies naturally, they don't have a lot of blood there, typically speaking. And with abductive reasoning, we're looking at what is the most plausible or reasonable. So let's add some more. Let's say the guy has a knife sticking out of his back, okay? So we can look at, we wrote out natural, we have suicide, we have murder, and we have accident. Could it have been a suicide? <laughs> well, it could have if he wanted to try to stab himself in the back, and you know what I mean? But it's not likely, but we can leave it on the table. Any three of those could possibly be it. Could have been an accident, fell backwards. Let's say we find multiple stab wounds in his back. Well, it's probably not going to be an accident because he's not going to fall over numerous times and continuously get stabbed in the back. So now you're stuck with possible suicide or murder. Suicide doesn't really make a whole lot of sense either, but we'll leave it on the table. Say you actually find bloody footprints on the scene. Suicides kind of rolled out because the person wouldn't have necessarily got up and walked, you know what I mean? So that's not really plausible when you add that. Then say you have a witness saying that they saw somebody run out the house around the same time. So now you're piecing this together. You have all the circumstantial evidence and you weren't there. You didn't see what happened. But piecing this together, you go look natural. No accident. No suicide. Most likely not. So logical conclusion is murder, right? Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard this illustration before? No, I don't think I have. Okay. And so when we're talking about origins, you and I and everybody in the world, we have the same evidence, if you will, if quote unquote evidence. Some people don't like that word. But we have the earth, we have us, we have the universe, things like that. And so we got to look at what is the most reasonable explanation for all of this. Okay. It would be natural accident, suicide, murder, whatever the case is, but what's the most reasonable aspect? And I really want to go from there. And this is where you can get into the different philosophical arguments with moral, ontological, and all the other stuff. But for the sake of time, if you will, I would really talk about a couple things. First, has there ever, well, let me ask this one, mankind. Okay, mankind, throughout the entire period of history of mankind that we're aware of, and no matter what culture that you're in, no matter what year it is, how would a naturalist explain the consistent or even the ongoing depravity of man and just wickedness and just more murder and things like that? Because, and correct, I'm not an expert on evolution, but mm -hmm. throughout evolution and science and trying to grow and develop more technology and just be more personable, 
how would that give rise to the aspect of just more and more bloodshed? You know, we got terrorism and we could talk about religion and all that stuff and everything, but you just have a continual rise of depravity. You know, I'm just, that's one thing I was thinking of. That's not really one of the questions I said I would have for you. But when we're looking at the origins and the evidence on God or no God, mm-hmm. it's sort of like that dead body scene. We got to look at all of it. And like I tell a lot of people, one or two arguments isn't going to show anybody God. I personally think it's a spiritual battle as well. But what we try to do is show the reasonableness through a lot of evidence and everything. And take, for instance, just the aspect of uh, metaphysics and everything, the consciousness. How would, and I've heard it said like this before, to a naturalist, you have to explain how, first, what consciousness is. But it's sort of like the chicken and the egg. Do you want to talk about consciousness? No, I'm not an expert in that. So I'm curious as to views and everything, okay? Yeah. But in my eyes, and I'll talk about evolution too. I'm just I'm, okay. Oh, sorry. In my view, consciousness. I like talking, so I'm just like chomping at the bit, waiting for my turn, <laughs> which is horrible. That's a horrible way to be. <laughs> I'll be quiet, but no, one thing, no, don't, no, don't. One other thing I was just going to point out, and I got others too, so. I, I got a lot of other things I want to pick your brain about. But there's as, a lot to unpack there too. Like you said a lot of things and I'm like, <laughs> I, yeah, I hope Shannon's got a, if you have a pen and a paper, Shannon, just so Shannon can get to all like don't get yeah, there's a lot. How I'm right here. How, here. How does naturalism explain the consciousness? And I've heard some views, but I'm curious as to yours. Okay. So how and does, then how do, naturalism explains explain the consciousness. What is it, it can't fully yet. It can't fully yet. Okay. Um, there's a mind brain, there's, there's a neural binding problem. Absolutely. Like from a philosophical perspective, there's a neural binding problem. Like what do you mean by that? Um, I'm not a, I... but the neural binding problem. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, a, I'm going to articulate this very poorly because I'm not <laughs> a philosopher. Uh, at all it just i'm not a philosopher right. but i've i've had i've talked to many lovely and intelligent philosophers like ozymandias ramses and you know steve mccray's not a philosopher but he's very well versed and, and i've had many conversations uh, about it that okay. have helped elucidate it for me and essentially it, it's as though you know we can we can perceive our own consciousness and the fact that we can perceive our own consciousness is kind of an issue right so the issue is like if i move my arm up um did i make the choice to move my arm up because we were talking about it or was you know was that essentially kind of like preordained what did my mind make the decision that i was going to have this without me knowing that i was going to move my arm up like that did i make this choice or was that a choice that was made by the meat in my head that and i'm just enacting a choice involuntarily so that, that's where the free will conversation comes into play. And I don't have an answer for that question. Just because I don't have an answer for that question doesn't mean that I say, well, obviously we have free will and therefore there must be a God. And those are fascinating questions. Now, my concern is that if, um, if I say, well, I know the answer to that question and the answer to that question is God, then we stop looking for those answers. Now, I'm not a strict materialist. I'm a scientific methodological materialist for certain because otherwise you couldn't conduct science. But 
I, I'm not a strict materialist in the philosophical sense. I leave myself open for the possibility of the supernatural, but oh, I don't see it. Of course I do. I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm an, I'm an intellectual, intellectually honest atheist, I guess. I, I'd like, I, I don't see any evidence for it. And I wouldn't suggest that at this point in time, I believe it. However, if, if I was introduced to it, I wouldn't reject it. Does that make sense? Did I articulate that well enough so that- I, I can see what you're saying. Voice. And I appreciate the fact you're saying that you're open to supernatural because a lot of people, when they hear supernatural, they think God, and, and if, correct me if I'm wrong- And they wanna close themselves off because they're like, no, I reject that. Is that what your per perception is? Supernatural is really just outside of nature if I'm not mistaken, right? So natural order. And so I appreciate hearing you know, your thought on that. That was just people, one of I the think, things that I wanted to talk about, but yeah, consciousness, <laughs> The only difference between you and I or, or your view and my view is you say that you can't know for sure. Or we don't know or we can't say consciousness There's, point to God is uh, I can. And I know you'll read. Well, you, know, you do. There's a difference between you do and you can. You're asserting. Now, I mean, I've, my 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 core of, of what I know based on research, because I, you know, I studied psychology, like just like just like our lovely friend James here. Hi, James. <laughs> so, uh, so um, I, I believe it currently, based on my understanding, to be an emergent property of, okay. of our biology. Um, and, and I have a lot of, we'll go back to sort of my Christianity, if you don't mind me taking a moment to kind of. Uh, yeah, uh, I talked enough right now. <laughs> so well, you brought up you brought up a couple other things that I think are fascinating. You said from a human perspective, and here's one of the questions that I grappled with, and perhaps you didn't grapple with it, but I did. So I'm an evolution believer, obviously. So I know that uh, I know. I'm confident saying that I know with the, in in this juncture that we 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 evolved from you know lower order or that's it's bad verbiage, but we evolved from, you know, different biologically, physiologically different primates and then, and then potentially like lower order mammals and all the way, all the way back billions of years. Right. So if, if, if I hold to that, it's very difficult for me to be, to be a Christian anymore because at what point in time does God make humans a unique creation and impart them with unique soul and have a unique interest in in humans is it in our current instantiation of our biology and if it's not in our current instantiation of our biology why did it take billions of years to get to this current instantiation and if it was previous what we would classify as lower order primates or lower order mammals and, and all the way back did we have unique and unique gods approved souls all the way back on to to you know single or small multicellular structures because we wouldn't argue that those have souls now and if we did then we would have to extend our conceptualization of of the soul which is essentially the mind body problem from a christian perspective because they'll insert soul there to to all creatures all the way across the board because there isn't anything unique about us because we weren't previously in this form with this form of cognition, with this ability to articulate and even ask these forms of questions. Does that make I, sense? It does. But, and, and even though I know a lot of Christians have succumbed to theistic evolution, the gap theory, the day age theory, progressive creationism and everything, 
I'm one of those that you would call a crazy biblical creationist. Oh, you're YC. Oh my no, goodness. I, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm a biblical creationist because I can show you just in Are you Hugh Rossy? Are you like no, no, Hugh? No, Hugh Ross is an old earth guy. He believes in billions. Yeah. Oh, you're young earth. Okay. I'm young earth, but I call it biblical creationist because it clearly says it. And even Jesus attested to it when he said Adam and Eve were created in the beginning. And right. so that's a story for another time. But one of my hangups with the evolutionary theory is uh, the fact of, have you ever heard of Lazarus species or living fossils? Laz. Yeah, Lazarus species. Yeah, certainly. What, what have you heard about Lazarus species? Not Lazarus in the Bible. No, I know what you mean when you say a living fossil. I understand. I understand what you're talking about. So you're talking about species that were essentially already adapted to their environment in, no. in a fashion that. No, you're not. Okay. Well, why don't you explain to me what you mean then? Take for instance the coelacanth. Mm -hmm. Coelacanth was supposedly extinct for 65 million years ago. Coelacanths mm -hmm. are found today with no evolutionary change whatsoever, according to the fossils we have in the living species today. There's a lot of different species that are still alive that supposedly went extinct. One and the other one I think was like a little rodent. Uh, Mon I forget what it's called, Monte Del, something like that. But there's a mm -hmm. lot of animals that supposedly were extinct for millions of years. And again, I, I tie a lot of this into circumstantial evidence and abductive reasoning. Because again, the, the thing isn't one piece of evidence, it's overwhelming evidence. And overwhelming evidence? Right. Against evolution? Yes. No. No. Yes. No. And there, there's a lot of things. Have you ever heard of the Oort cloud? Oh, goodness. No, I don't. Why don't you explain it to me? The Oort cloud. See, one of the issues, we're going to journey on my laptop again, okay? Well, one, okay. one thing is hopefully we at some point still get to hear Shannon's response to some of those earlier ideas. I don't want to stop you from talking about the Oort cloud, but uh, some of those, I just want to remind you, we didn't hear yet uh, Shannon's response on things like, I think there was one you raised Danny on. So for example, like the, I think it was something to the effect of like the evil done among human groups across the, the globe. Oh, uh, so you, we go ahead if you want to keep going with the Oort cloud, but I, I'm just, I, those are still points in the past that I'm still excited to hear answers sure. or responses to. I defer yeah, sure. to you, Okay, All so you, which? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Which question would you prefer me to, well, to start with? I'm happy to start with either. Oh, either it, it doesn't matter. Those were just random thoughts I had earlier. Okay, so what? James, which would you, which would be your preference? Which are you most interested in here? Or well, I mean, don't if you guys want to talk about something else, like if, no, if I'm gonna go with the flow type. I'll answer what I'll do. If it you don't feel compelled to talk about it, Shannon, it's totally okay. No, I, I, I have to, no, sure. no, no. I just want to know which is your preference. That's all. I'm, here, I'm, well, I'm, well, I'm more than happy. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know if you fully showed the atheist position as far as, like I said, I would say mankind, if we were living. Christian doctrine, like Jesus said, Jesus Christ gave the law of love, love your neighbor as yourself, love God. Mm -hmm. so on those two commandments hangs all the prophet and the law. Uh, Certainly. If we do what we're supposed to do as Christians, we should love people. Certainly. But from a naturalist perspective, I would also think with a humanistic worldview and idea, 
that mm-hmm. humans would better themselves, better societies, and yeah. live better in harmony. But it doesn't seem like we see that today. Terrorism, murders, things like that. I was just curious your thoughts on that. Well, okay. I have a lot of thoughts <laughs> on that. So when you, when you say, are you essentially suggesting that... Because, you know, if this is God's creation, are you suggesting that the reason that you see these things are because people aren't, you know, God-fearing people? And no. that's why. When, when you make the choice to not, from your perspective, it would be a choice. I don't believe it is. But when you no longer believe in God, then you descend into... No, no. I'm saying no? Christians, okay. saying Christians can do it too. And I can see the depravity of man growing, uh, number one, right. because we're not living the Christian doctrine. We're not doing what we're supposed to. Also, but you just said that Christians can do it too. Oh, so yeah, that, so what, what I'm hearing again when you say that is from, from my perspective, what I'm hearing is that people who don't adhere to Christian doctrine make the choices to be depraved individuals. We all make choices. I would agree with the free will. Sounds like you don't agree with free will. Are you a determinist? Mm, I don't, I'm not sure if I am a determinist because I'm not 100% on the definition, but I'm not certain that that was the question. Perhaps I could phrase it differently. Is the crux of the cre- question that you're asking me is, or, or the impetus of the question that you're asking me that because people are turning more so away from Christianity and aren't adhering to what you would classify as Christian doctrines, that we are seeing depravity because of that. Okay, so you're not suggesting that we're seeing depravity because people are turning away or choosing not to live Christian doctrines. And if if the point of our conversation is that, uh, you know, how... You know what what the difference is between the two of us, for example, or uh, what the world would be like without Christianity, as another example. Then, you're that. Then the question kind of becomes a moot point because it just all comes down to to human nature. Because if you're you're either saying that people become depraved once they once they're no longer Christian, or you're saying that people are just prone to depravity. And if people are just prone to depravity, then Christianity can be removed from the conversation and the depravity will exist irrespective of that. And the the other alternative would be that you're suggesting that either Christians aren't depraved or aren't prone to depravity or people who turn away from Christian doctrines make those choices more readily than those who do adhere to Christian doctrines. And that I would hold a bit of an issue with because I don't adhere to Christian doctrines. I don't consider myself depraved. And I know many others who are like me who consistently get messages that they are because of conversations like this. So I would I, I would hold issue with that. If, does that make sense? Is that fair or am I misunderstanding? No, that, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, can we go back to the art club? Sure, of course. I'll talk about what I'll go whatever direction you two prefer. Absolutely. If you have questions, by all means, I don't know all the answers. And like I said before, neither do I. <laughs> a little more eloquent than I am, but uh. Anyway, oh, don't be. No, no, I'm not. 
crazy <laughs> biblical creationists and everything. So we talk about living fossils. You're not crazy. I no, please don't. No, 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 no. That no. My 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 current love of my life was a young earth creationist. Okay. Not more than three years ago. And okay. so absolutely. And his IQ didn't drop or raise one point the moment that he changed his mind about that. So you are not, nor did his personality. Right. You are not, you well, just differ that. from me. You would just differ from me. And please don't assume that I have that perspective. Because I, I, res I respect you in this conversation and I, and I, I don't want to give off that impression. So you're not, no, just know me. that. Yeah. By no means. One, I think one of my strongest arguments for faith, uh, for theism is just mm -hmm. again, going back to circumstantial evidence. And while we're still on the topic of creation uh, versus evolution, when I look at living fossils, I look at Lazarus species, then I look at just soft tissue being found in dinosaur bones and tri triceratops. Mary Schweitzer. <laughs> and so it was now, in a T-Rex bone, actually. There's actually a couple different things that they had found. And so you look at that, you look at just artifacts of man and dinosaurs together. It, it, it's interesting. Have, have you ever seen the Chinese calendar? Uh, yes. Yes. I'm a rooster. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was born in 1981. Time. I'm a rooster. <laughs> I don't know what I am, but, uh, call? you go to a Chinese restaurant, you look, you look at the little placemat, right? And they typically have the Chinese calendar on there. What's mm -hmm. interesting is every animal on that Chinese calendar is a real animal we've seen today. Mm -hmm. With the exception of one. The dragon. The dragon. And that's quite interesting too. Because everybody has this idea of what a dragon looks like. And then we do have artifacts and everything. We do have dinosaur artifacts with man. When you look at different temples from the 15th, 16th century carvings, uh, the Inca stones are debatable. It depends on what side, what view you look at, and just a lot of other things. I'm one of those crazy psychos that thinks Nessie is possibly in Loch Ness. <laughs> because you, think okay. about it. you have coelacanths. You have these living fossils today that supposedly were extinct millions of years ago. And we're still finding amazing creatures at the bottom of the ocean that are bioluminescent and all this other cool stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's not against the realm of impossibility. And so sure. those, those are some of the things I look at circumstantial evidence for abductive reasoning. And so, but a couple other things is, have you ever looked at the prophecy in here? Like any prophetic passages or anything? Oh, but I've, it's been a while since I read it cover to cover. So yes, I but I, I've read it. <laughs> I would I would encourage you. Uh, it sounds like you're very open. Okay, you're just on the suit for suit uh, search for. I can't even talk right now. Truth. Mm -hmm. People would say. ask me, and I would ask other people, if you could have one book to witness to somebody to a skeptic, what book would be? I hear mm -hmm. John, I hear Matthew and things like that. The one book I would use to witness to a skeptic would be the book of Daniel. Okay. Uh, oh, okay. I say, okay, a lot too. You'll realize that. But <laughs> the book of Daniel, and I could give you a lot of information online and offline and everything, is a 6th century BC written mm -hmm. uh, book of the Bible. 
And there's a lot of internal evidence within the book of the Bible, such as Belshazzar being the third, the second ruler of Babylon, with Nabonidus, his father, being the first. Hence mm -hmm. the reason why Daniel was offered this third seat. Uh, there's a lot of internal evidence to show that Daniel was a 6th century BC document. What's important about that is that the book of Daniel talks about the coming Persian kingdom, the Greek kingdom, the Roman kingdom. It, not, it even goes farther in chapter 11 where it talks about the breaking up of the Greek kingdom, Macedonian kingdom, into the four kingdoms. You got Lysimachus, uh, you got Cassander, uh, Seleucid, and the Ptolemaic empires. It talks about the division of the four kingdoms. It goes so far as much as in Daniel chapter 11, uh, pointing out that there will be the king of the north, who will make a pact with the daughter of the king of the south. And those are references to the Seleucid king, Antiochus II, and the Ptolemic king, Ptolemic II, I think, down there at the south in Egypt. And his daughter, Berenice, you can check it out on Britannica and all this other stuff, actually did marry Antiochus II that Daniel 11 actually talks about. And so what's fascinating about that is when you see internal evidence that it actually is a sixth century product and you see specific history uh, prophecy fulfilled you got to ask yourself not you just a rhetorical you mm -hmm. is there something to at least the book of daniel and if so is there prophecy elsewhere in the bible because i have these books right here book of mormon Dr. oh goodness I, I do a lot of studying on other religions. Yeah, Joseph okay. Smith is a false prophet. A lot of his stuff has never came true. I agree. <laughs> I concur. I bring that up. I have, a, I have a couple questions for you whenever you're when you okay. up. If you've never actually studied the prophecy, I would encourage you to check it out. Maybe we could chat offline. And even if you don't agree and everything, and that's perfectly fine, I'd like to maybe talk through those things. But, sure. You have an uh, email address now. I don't. Know, I don't know if you have a Twitter. You need a Twitter if you have a YouTube channel. That'll I'm get some split, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am. But, no, that's fine. But I will have other questions as far as the circumstantial evidence piece, as far as origins and God and theism. Mm -hmm. But I'll turn it over to you because I can talk. I've talked theology for hours with a buddy. Oh, I know. You're very verbose. I enjoy it. Uh, I I do have questions though. Okay, so essentially. You're suggesting that the book of Daniel ha what has been verifiably dated to the sixth century and holds predictions that came true later on after the book was verifiably written, right? So that would be evidence that it was divinely inspired prophecy and thus that thus is evidence for the, the supernatural or divine inspiration of the Bible itself. What I, and what I would say with that is I probably wouldn't go as far. I would agree with it, but I probably wouldn't go as far as saying it's verified to be dated. I would say there's internal evidence to. When you say internal evidence, do you mean that the, are you using the, the Bible to date the Bible? Well, and, and this is where I go with that. Cause that's a great point. For a long time, I thought I couldn't use the Gospels to show the validity to the Gospels. And I like to talk through that in here whenever you'd want. But so yeah, my question would be, in order, for, in order for the veracity of that to be compelling to me, mm -hmm. then the, the date itself 
is the important component. You can understand why the date itself that you proposed would be the important component. Because it's if you can't, yeah, right. Because, well, it, it could have been, you know, whatever century, right? So long as it happened, so long as it predates by a reasonable margin, yeah. the, the, the events that you're laying out for me. Right. Now, if you're, if you're dating it internally, then we encounter, we encounter an issue because if you're using the book to justify the book or using the book to verify the book, then your only source for telling me that the book is true is the book. I see you what see you're saying and I, I see the circular that you're trying to point out and everything. Uh, right. But what I would say against that is we got to remember that the books are historical documents. Okay. They're just like Homer, Plato, just in a historical sense, you know, real living things happen. Mm -hmm. uh, what I would say to that is the fact that the Babylonian captivity of Israel is well mm -hmm. attested outside of the Bible. Yeah. But the Jewish being enslaved by the Egyptians is not right. Well, so I'm not talking about Genesis right now. But you're talking about the Bible being consistent enough that it could be used for verification. Well, right now I'm only talking about the book of Daniel. That's all I'm talking about right now. We won't probably get there. But right now I just want to point out one book out of 66. Okay. Like I said, I say okay a lot. But. <laughs> no, that's fine. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Where I go with the book of Daniel is the fact mm -hmm. that. Daniel says he was a captive in Babylon taken mm -hmm. from Israel. It's a historically, uh, it, it's well-attested event. The mm -hmm. only way that we can actually, because the reason why I bring that up is you have what's called the Maccabean theory, which people say this was written in the second century of somebody looking back into history and writing these things down. The reason why I bring this up is the fact that the things written within Daniel, he had to have been there present to actually see and write those things down. I mentioned Belshazzar, for instance. A lot of people say Belshazzar was never a Babylonian king. He is not on the list of kings of Babylon. And I would agree 100% with that. And so for a long period of time of history, people said uh, Belshazzar was not correct. Daniel was wrong. So this guy got it wrong. However, comma, it was as of late that the Nabonidus cylinder in the Nabonidus Chronicle, where artifacts found, Nabonidus was Belshazzar's son, uh, father, and it talks about Nabonidus going to Saudi Arabia mm -hmm. and leaving the kingdom to his son, his eldest son, and he's eventually named as Belshazzar. And then when you look in the book of Daniel, Belshazzar says, hey, if you can interpret this handwriting on the wall, I'll make you the third ruler in the kingdom. It's interesting because Nebuchadnezzar said, I'll make you the first in chapter two, or the second. Belshazzar couldn't make him the second because Belshazzar was the second with Nabonidus being the first king. But Nabonidus is on that list of kings. And so at this point, like I said, all I'm trying to do is show the accuracy and truthfulness of the book of Daniel. Right. Right. And so I would encourage you to at least look at that and we could talk through that, whatever the case is, to see, is the book of Daniel accurate? Is the book of okay. Daniel prophetic? And then from there, we can look at other aspects. Those are two separate claims. Though. Okay, sorry to interrupt you. I'm no, you're fine. So sorry to interrupt you. So those are those are two separate claims, though. So you're asking if, if it's reflective of history and if it's prophetic. Now, 
if it's reflective of history, I, I, I don't think that I would necessarily contest that there are things that historically happened that are reflected in the Bible, right? Any more than I would contest that there are things that historically happened that could be in any other work of fiction. Like I could, I could write a work of fiction right now. And I don't, I don't mean this to be, you know, condescending. This is just a way to illustrate my point. Please, please right. don't misconstrue it that way. Right. So I, I could write a work of fiction right now. And in that work of fiction, I could easily based on my knowledge of the world around me in my lifespan or asking other people around me, things that have happened within their lifespans, like well, it will discount the internet and television because those don't didn't exist back then. I could easily write those things into it very easily. I could write those things into it. Now, the question that's important in this, the crux of this between you and I in our conversation is whether or not it's prophetic. Now, I won't contest that it, it has historically accurate facts within it. What my question was, was how can you verify the time in which it was written and that it is in fact prophetic without using it to date itself? And if you are using it to date itself, what is the justification so that I can be certain if you want, if you want me honestly, as a, as a, to be compelled to believe the veracity of this, that's an important question to answer because perhaps you're right. Perhaps it is prophetic. And if it is, I would like to know, but I can't be convinced by it dating itself and then just making the assumptions that those prophecies came true as opposed to it was written however many years later and retrospectively they were able to insert historically accurate information because history had already happened right no i agree with what you're saying the big difference between this guy and this guy is the fact that joseph smith he did say that the civil war would happen before it did but the difference was he was 20 years removed from the event he could look at the world around him and say, hey, something's going on. This is going to happen. Right. All right. And then there's other stuff in there. And how I'm talking about dating itself is uh, you've probably heard of Jay Warner Wallace. Have you heard of Jay Warner Wallace? Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So have you heard his explanation on testing the validity of eyewitnesses? No. No. And this is where we would eventually hopefully get to the gospel records that, again, Daniel writes the letter stating that, claiming that he was an actual slave or took slave in Babylon, right? So he mm -hmm. was taken there. He went through these times. He had this encounter with Nebuchadnezzar. So he claims he was there. Right. Now, like Jay Warner Wallace points out, you have to be able to test the truthfulness of this eyewitness, if you will. Mm -hmm. There are some pieces you can look at to see if they're telling the truth. For instance, the gospel records, embarrassing detail, the explosive growth of the church, and we could talk about those if we get a chance. But when I pointed out Belshazzar, and there's another interesting feature about the plaster and how the inside of that room was for Daniel chapter 5, mm -hmm. that many historians believe that this was an unforgotten period of history of the plaster on the walls and the handwriting on the wall and Belshazzar being quote-unquote a king because there's no list of him on that 
actual king list, the mm-hmm. only person that would have known that Belshazzar was king would have been somebody literally at that time, as opposed to somebody 300 years after the fact, trying to write back history and reflect on it when that king would have fell through history and would have been lost Could. in history. You know what I mean? Okay. So I, I think I'm understanding your perspective now. So okay. at that time, the king, the Belshazzar king, the one that wasn't written on the the list of kings, he Daniel referenced him. There's no way Daniel would have known that he was king unless he was there in that exact time because for whatever reason this king was lost to history so the assertion is that if it was written 300 years later then daniel would not have chosen or whoever wrote daniel would not have chosen belshazzar uh, because they would not have known that belshazzar existed to even make that choice that makes sense is that possibly yeah i mean i yeah I and that's how that's how you can internally use that that's how you can use daniel to date it because he referenced things that nobody else could have known but have just come to light based on what you said about scrolls being discovered now so we know now belshazzar was legitimate and really was a king and the only way daniel could have known that he was legitimate and was a king it was if he was there though up until recently daniel would have been suspect but now he's he's legitimized by this recent discovery and and that's the logic for using the book to date itself is that a fair synopsis more or less yeah okay more, yeah testing the verify so I, I i think i get you i think i get you all right so my con- my contestation to that would be what is I, that i talk with my hands so i'm sorry my hands are on my desk because i talk i'm very visual and i talk with my hands so What's my but i would contestate uh, a contestation i would what what, oh. what i would say would be um you can vi- can you can you prove to me essentially that 300 years later they would have had no idea who Balthazar is just because we don't know a couple thousand years later doesn't mean that they wouldn't have known 300 and can you prove to me that the people who had access to these books didn't in any way augment them to insert prophecies that would fortify and reinforce later books and i think the dead sea scrolls is uh have you ever looked at the dead sea scrolls no but i'm sure why don't you tell me about them but the Dead Sea Scrolls, I think, would give a little bit of clarity as far as uh, the transcribing process of scripture and how okay. it's been preserved throughout uh, millennia. Like you did say, can I guarantee that nobody knew about Belshazzar until late? I would yeah. agree. I can't say without a shadow of a doubt, no, they wouldn't have known it at 200 BC. Right. Just looking at, you know, evidence and everything and saying, hey, Babylon was in ruins. The Persians made it in ruins and everything. So your mm-hmm. walls, plasters, excavation would reveal these things in whatever the case is. Yeah. So I, I think there's definitely plausibility and credence to it. In uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls were a bunch of scrolls, uh, writings, not just scripture, but also just sort of like legal documents, community documents, things like that, sure. that they found in the caves of Qumran along, I think about in the 60s or 70s or something like that. 
one of the fascinating things about it was they found what's called the Great Isaiah Scroll. And what's fascinating is the fact that that scroll supposedly predates the earliest copy of Isaiah that we have by a thousand years, about a thousand years. And when they've studied that scroll, they say that it's pretty much 99% accurate transcript, you know, copying from what we have, the earliest writing, to what they found a thousand years earlier, and that there is maybe 1%, and that 1% would have been punctuation, spelling is what they report. That that just talks about just the whole copying aspect of scripture and how meticulous they were with that. And so as far as the augmenting process of scripture and maybe people adding to it and taking away things like that, uh, I would not agree with that just because we don't have any evidence of that as well. And then when we okay. look at all the different manuscripts we have, and I haven't looked at them, you know, physically, so I'm trusting, you know, some of the scholars that do. I, I took a new, just finished a Greek class, so I can transliterate a little bit, but uh, I would trust what study they're doing. Okay. Okay. So, but of course I do have my bias and presuppositions and whatever the case is. So that's what I would say, but no worries. Well, that's interesting. I've never had anybody bring up the book of Daniel to me. <laughs> I'll have to look into it. Yeah, no, really. I've had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of conversations. <laughs> so, I'm really um, enjoying talking to you. You're very, you're very nice to speak to. So thank you for being so respectful and interesting to have a dialogue with. I appreciate it. Like, I don't like the Christians that are Bible thumpers and they say God hates gay people and not, that's not the love of Christ and everything. So yeah. I don't need to be here and try to defend God. God doesn't need defending. I'm just here to go ahead and try to help people possibly see the rationality of God. So can I ask you, a, do you want to ask me anything before I ask you something else? I wanted to no. pick up. I, no, that's fine. James, one, James is dying to talk. <laughs> I mean, we could definitely come back to you, Danny. I just wanted to say, how about if, Danny, we do your question, and then if you guys are up for just a little Q&A from the audience. Just the chat going like, bananas. I, I know we'd, <laughs> we'd be going a little bit over, because we originally planned on maybe an hour, but I just would love to get to, to field some of these questions. We only have one so far, but it's a good one, and it's one for both okay. of you. So. Uh, sure. If you guys are up for it, uh, we could just maybe take like 10 minutes after Danny's question. Is that cool? Yeah, I mean, that's I absolutely go a little longer if you wanted to, Shannon. Well, to be to be fair, I have to work early in the morning and my little guy's in bed and it's almost midnight where I am. Oh, but I'm, I will absolutely, I, I'm happy to answer your question, Danny, and I'm happy to answer the question from the chat. So I'll, I'll, another 20 minutes for sure. I'll go to midnight, absolutely. Sure. Have Has there ever been a point in your life when you ask mm -hmm. yourself, why am I here? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. More than one. More than one. I would encourage yeah. you, I would encourage you to ask everybody you meet, have you ever asked the question, why am I here? Yeah. If everybody okay. you meet asks that question, that's mm -hmm. fairly interesting. Because I why don't would yeah. Well, I don't understand how naturalism would produce such a such an internal question throughout the entire masses of humanity. Now, I'm not saying I can prove everybody in their entire life asked that question, but from mm -hmm. a theistic worldview, I would look at that question as God reaching out, God's conscious on our hearts and things like that, that we originally know that there is a God. And these are that, I'm sure you heard the God-shaped hole in our heart 
you know, things like that. I've heard it, yeah. But it's a very interesting thought that how could evolution naturalism provide such a question for everybody. So I encourage you throughout this next week, ask all your friends, maybe strangers if you want, have you ever asked yourself, why am I here? Or is there a God? And I'm just curious. I'd like, email me back. All right. Well, I can, I can do a bit of that now. So... Um... I think that that is a, a logical way for us to reconcile self-awareness, right? So self-awareness is a little bit scary. <laughs> us being conscious of our own thoughts can, can causes a lot of us to um, to really overanalyze how we think. Like other other creatures, I guess, might be lucky that they aren't as self-aware as we are. The fact that we're self-aware and the fact that we assign agency to ourselves and others and to have agency, and this, and we're the fact that we're pattern recognition machines too. Like we want to be important. We really want to be important. And it's scary to think that we aren't important because we're self-aware. So asking why am I here is, is kind of like asking, am I important? Mm -hmm. And because if pe people say, you know, nihilism is, is scary, right? Because it's like saying that nothing matters. And that's what, that's why people are, some people might be afraid of atheism or the way that some people might look at atheists is that we're nihilists. But it's because that question is scary. Am I important? That's a scary question. Just because you can't give yourself an attribution that automatically gives you the answer of yes, that doesn't mean God. I've, I sometimes fear that because it's terrifying to think about the fact that we're in charge of conducting ourselves because it's terrifying to think that we may not be as important as we give ourselves an assignment of being important because it's terrifying to think that there's nothing else after we're gone. It's really important to us to find a way to reconcile all of those things. And God ties them off into a neat little package. So we can say, I know I'm important because God says I am. I know I'm not done because I get to live after this. And we can say, I know that it's going to be okay because God's the one who gives me morality. Not being able to answer those questions is important to our development, though. Not knowing that we're knowing that we're in charge of our own importance and that it's not assigned to us allows us to develop ourselves. Knowing that we're in charge of how we treat each other and conduct ourselves in a society allows us to, answer, to look at and ask and answer some really important questions about morality. And knowing that this is all we get gives all of that pertinence. So I'm not certain that I'm going to go around asking everybody those questions because that might give me some 
you know, more awkward conversations than I already have because I'm relatively awkward. But that would be my answer is just because it's terrifying to answer no to those questions. That doesn't mean that the answer is not no. And sometimes the fact that the answer is no is something that we should embrace because we're not going to improve any of those things unless we know how to answer no to those questions and move past it and deal with the fact that maybe the answer is no. Hmm. Hmm. One final quick question. Sure. Do you believe in absolute truth? Mm, define absolute truth. Because I've, I've, and I, I'm not asking that to be pedantic. I've had conversations where people define it differently. <laughs> it's burned me before. You believe you or I can know that we're 100% accurate in what we're believing? Uh, no. 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 So I, I would disagree that I believe in absolute truth. And so at the end so of the so I believe that I can confirm that you know there are things that are truth uh, that we can know for certainty. So I just asked that question because through this whole conversation, if one mm -hmm. doesn't believe in absolute truth, could it be possible to say that we could be wrong in everything we're talking about right now? And even not sure. even I could be wrong. Yeah, I could be wrong. So I'm, I'm, I've been praying for you. I'm gonna keep praying for you. You know, and I'd like to keep talking to you about Daniel and some other things. Maybe we'll do some more videos, okay? Sure. But, yeah. All right. I'm, I'm done, James. Hands up. I'm done. <laughs> well, He's had it with me. I'm a nightmare. <laughs> funny. Well, we, we have two questions from the Q&A. So this will be a quick Q&A session. We're only going to take these two. And one of them, the first one, is for both of you. And we'll let Shannon go first. Because I am excited to hear your answer, Shannon. I'm excited to hear yours, Danny, too. But this is always a fun question. It is, through the lens of your worldview, how do you determine your value or self-worth? Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, I set goals for myself based on things that I would like to achieve. And I also evaluate myself by what I contribute to others and how I treat other people. But because I've found the most satisfaction in that. Now, yeah, I, I guess that would be it. I'm not, I'm not sure that I need to go too, too much deeper into that, but I find the most satisfaction in, you know, treating others well and doing things for other people. And I find the most satisfaction personally by setting goals for myself and taking steps to achieve them and how successful I am in those two components uh, is very important to me and being a good mom, most important, Amen. most predominant, most pertinent of anything is that I ensure that I'm instilling good attributes of being available for being and, and being aware of the needs of and accommodating to my son. I, I find the most, that is where I find the most value, but not everybody has kids. So I was trying to be a bit more general. <laughs> you bet. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And Danny, if you want to share as well. Oh, I love this because one of the things we didn't have a chance to talk about was worldviews and everything. Ooh. And I love the topic of worldviews because how do I find values 
And it's obviously coming from a theistic worldview. When you're looking at those three important questions, where did we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? You can add more to that. If Christians really lived Christian teaching, we would see why are we, how, how did we get here? A loving God created us in God's image. That we have intellect, emotion, and free will. That we reflect we're an image of God. And that when we're saved, we're actually an ambassador of Jesus Christ here. So we should be showing love, doing the golden rule, which was before Jesus' time. And so we see that. Why am I here? And that question is also gives us purpose. Which evolution and naturalism doesn't necessarily give objective purpose. It brings subjectivity. With the theistic worldview of why am I here, definitely we're here to go ahead and give glory to God, tell others about God, just love your fellow man, things like that. And then you get to the aspect of where are we going after that. We do believe in a literal heaven and hell, but God doesn't just say, no, God sent Jesus to die on the cross for everybody. And it's whosoever will shall be saved. And it's just looking at the cross like the serpent on the pole with Moses. Look and live. See your need for a Savior. Find out Jesus Christ died for you and rose again to show his resurrection and his being God. And that gives us that eternity in heaven. The fascinating thing about the worldview question is that very first one. How did we get here? Naturalism espouses billions of years of evolution. Theistic worldview espouses a literal creation that God created us. Yes, Adam out of the dirt from the rib of Adam, and it shows person, it shows a personal God, a loving God, that there is sanctity in life, that if we're God's image, then we have sacredness of human being life. And that's why we do fight against, you know, the pro-choice argument. We believe life is, you know, conceived. When you conceive, uh, that's when life begins. And so we have that sacredness uh, based upon us being the image of God and God's personal creation. So I think a lot of it stems based off of that. And we could talk about morality of Bible next time and everything. <laughs> so, but that's how I'd answer that, James, if that was kind of clear. I ramble sometimes. Thank you for answering that, Daniel. And I am uh, actually, this is a question that I got a kick out of because I find it, I think it's a good question. I'll set the context because I think I know what the questioner is asking. So, and we'll let Shannon answer the question and it, that way she'll have the last word as well. Ooh. And this is basically the question of Shannon mentioned, we as humans are pattern seekers or mm. we're at least very adept at detecting patterns. And more importantly, I think you're referring to false positives, namely we're, we're adept at detecting patterns when they're not even there. Yeah. So the question that Oscar Armen Duriz says is, if we can recognize patterns, is it really a pattern or just randomness? And if it is a pattern, how can we say this world happened by chance? That's a tough, so it's, Kind of There's a, a lot in that question. Yes, there is. Um, that's assuming that a, pa a pattern can infer any sort of causation, too, right? Like if yeah. it is a if, if it is a pattern, how could it be chance? How could chance cause a pattern? Is what I'm hearing there. Um, chance could cause a pattern. 
Well, I don't think any of the three of us would argue any different that chance yeah. couldn't cause a pattern. Uh, I, I think he might be meaning like, even though this is maybe like a overly charitable interpretation, Oscar, you can correct me if I'm uh, wrong here. Maybe this is overly charitable. I think maybe what he meant by pattern is like design type, like some sort of intelligence behind it. I could be wrong because, like I said, that might be being overly charitable. Okay. Uh, well, that that's a very different question than a pattern, right? Yeah. So we are pattern recognition machines. That's one of the one of the highest attributes that we have is our ability. To, to recognize patterns, assign agency to things, and formulate measures to, you know, communicate patterns to, to others. It's essentially kind of what language is, is, is a form of pattern communication. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure I understand. If he the question started, is, oh, I, okay, I, yes, sir. He, he had said that patterns, why, what he means by that is yes, design. So oh, let's uh, we'll take it as that interpretation is if they're if we're if we're able if we're adept at perceiving patterns and he's saying that design is a pattern then how do I explain how I don't believe in design if humans are capable of perceiving patterns I think what he's trying to get at is uh, you've heard the teleological argument and everything. Have you ever heard of fractals? Kind of, yes. Okay. Like fractals are repeating geometric patterns. Other, mm -hmm. There's self-similar patterns. Uh, take, for instance, a tree. You look at mm -hmm. a tree branch. A tree branch look at the trees. Off, off to the left, <laughs> right? And then on top of this Y, it'll branch off again. And it's made up of a bunch of different Ys. Mm -hmm. There's this design, these fractals in nature that I think he's trying to find out how could evolution account for such repetitious patterns in nature. And that's just one example. The golden uh, ratio is probably a better example for that. The Bonacci sequence, is that what you're yes. talking about? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I think he's looking at how does evolution account for the Fibonacci sequence. I don't know that evolution. So how does evolution produce that is what I'm right, yeah. hearing as opposed to account for that. Cause evolution doesn't really account for anything that has no sentience or direction. It's just, it's a way, it's a, it's a way of describing things that have happened and, and will happen. Um, well, let's say natural. So, no, that's also just, it's descriptive. Like it's, it's not okay. prescriptive. So, um, so we'll I, go with this last no, I, response from Shan, and then we're going to wrap it up. Okay. So Shannon, go. Go nuts. All right. <laughs> I'm ready. Oh, James, you froze. All right. So I, my, I, I'm not a biologist. So this is going to be my best effort, and I'm probably going to speak more from a psychological perspective because that's my wheelhouse. Now, I would say that the fact that these things are something that we're able to perceive and enjoy might mean that they have a better chance of persisting. I would also say that us recognizing patterns and enjoying them doesn't necessarily mean design. It just means that we see the patterns and, and enjoy them and can identify them. So 
what is the necessity of these patterns aside from aesthetic, us enjoying them and recognizing them as, as aesthetically pleasing, what is, their, what is their purpose? What is the cause of their design? Unless you're arguing that the entire universe was constructed in order to please us aesthetically. Thank you very much, Shannon. I totally appreciate <laughs> your response. And with that, thank you very much for tuning in, everybody. If this is your first time, we'd love to have you subscribe for future debates that we'll have here. But more importantly, uh, thank you very much for our speakers tonight especially Shannon being willing to stay up till midnight when you have to get up early in the morning. Um, Colin sick. Yeah. <laughs> Can't, unfortunately. They'll Dude. never know, right? They don't have the internet where I work. It's fine. <laughs> so thank you very much to both Shannon and Danny. Yes, Danny, thank you. This was fun. It was nice. I, it, it was good to bro out with my bros. <laughs> 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 totally and thank you very much again to the viewers so glad to have you here thanks for your questions and keep sifting through keep sifting out the reasonable from the unreasonable have a great night